Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. This is Drew, and today we have we welcome back Toby from Bat Flip Crazy. For some reason, I wanted to like start singing the Toby's back back again. What is that, Slim Shady? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, welcome back. I'm my Slim friend. Shady, the the only Slim Shady, or something. <laughs> Obviously, we don't know enough about this uh, genre, but uh... mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, it's great to have you, and um, I've enjoyed interacting and you know hanging out at First Pitch Arizona and, and talking on Twitter. So I um, really appreciate you coming back on just to talk about. I guess we're going to talk about drafting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to be on, um, for sure. It's, uh, yeah, it was great to meet you in first pitch, Arizona. I had a, had a blast, um, hanging out and it's been good to uh, engage. I've enjoyed looking at your, some of your draft boards here as we, uh, we move forward. We're both addicted to the draft champions league. So Absolutely. a lot of draft boards getting put out. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I have a problem. I think I've, I've done six now and it's not even 2020 yet, but, uh, mm. it's, it's close. Uh, happens to the best of us yeah. <laughs> well i uh i but actually i can't not mention uh the the slight bit of news we had yesterday which is the white Sox making another awesome signing edwin Encarnacion. um mm. i just wanted to run this by you but i was looking at their roster resource page and here's what we've got uh for their batting lineup first uh, Mancada, number two tim anderson Three, Jose Abreu. Four, Yasmani Grandal. Five, Edwin Encarnacion. Six, Eloy Jimenez. And then they've got, <laughs> they've got Mazzara, Louis Garcia, and Danny Mendick. But if you plug in there, they're interested in Yasiel Puig. If they got him, that could be Puig, Luis Robert, and Madrigal. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. that is a heck of a lineup. It's just, it's really cool what they're doing. And I still think they need a little more pitching. I'm not sure how or if they're going to get that, but it, but I really like what the White Sox have done. Yeah, definitely. I I, I like what they've done as well. Um, I think one thing that's interesting about the market now is you have so many teams that are just kind of staying out of it um, and try, trying to, you know, like for better or worse tank, you know, to uh, emulate the Astros and other teams' rebuilds that when any team spends any type of money, you know, and when you think about what the White Sox are doing, like they're not putting, they're not really spending a lot of long-term cash here. Right, right. They, they didn't get Rendon or, or an ace pitcher. They got um, a bunch of guys, I guess, I think Encarnacion was on a year deal. And yeah. Grand- Encarnacion is a deer, uh, is, a, is one. I mean, Grandal is the one piece that's kind of longer term, but it plays out well because I think they should be pretty competitive this year in the AL Central um, with the lineup that they have. Team-friendly contract. So it's just just really smart, but it's also like if you want to compete now, this is the way to do it. And I just – I love that somebody's trying to do that. Even if they're Mm -hmm. not going to win the World Series this year, it's just nice to see. But – yeah, and I think I think it puts them in a position in a year or two as their younger players develop to actually be able to go out and sign somebody to that really big contract, you know, and and um, and that's that's going to be refreshing. And I think it it them being competitive makes it easier because teams won't look at them anymore as uh, a non-competitive team. They'll see them as kind of an up-and-coming team. Yeah, and I think that that's and a, players that's too. A, I mean, it'll be more if they're trying to get that ace next year or whatever. It'll be more attractive to come into a 
you know, 80 win team than a 60 win team or whatever, but mm, absolutely. Well, yeah. And, and Moncada batting at the top of that lineup, that's a lot of runs he could score. That's very interesting um, with his, with his OBP. It, I, I will say for fantasy, it, it makes me a little bit more reluctant to pull the trigger on Luis Robert, because even if he mm. gets the call up in April, which I, I think he will. And even if he hits, you know, better than he could, which is, you know, 250 plus, um, I th- I th- the runs and RBIs aren't going to be there as strongly as if he was one of their best hitters. You know, like I, yeah. I think there is a real chance he could get hit at the bottom of that lineup now because it's just so strong up top. I mean, who's he going to replace? Tim Anderson, Abreu, Grandal? I just, I don't know. Mm. So, yeah, no, that's a, it's a really good point. There is some rumors that he is going to sign an extension, probably similar, not exactly like Eloy's, but um, before the season starts. Yeah. And I wonder if, if some of the Puig stuff, because they did just go out and get Mazzara. And don't get me get me wrong, Puig is a much better player. And so I think if they sign him, that he'll be the guy. But um, I think some of that might be a little bit of uh, a little bit of gamemanship. Um, sure. <laughs> we're trying to get Robert to sign. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Like like literally um, you know, like, hey, guess what? We're kind of in the in the looking at another outfielder that we'll have for another year. So if you want to come up this year, maybe you should uh, sign this deal. So and I, I don't know. That's the cynical part of me, I guess. Yeah. It, it, it just, I, I like to stay away from, from playing time risk. That's always the thing that, you know, if you want to kill your draft, just get a bunch of players that may or may not actually be in the lineup. <laughs> so yeah, totally. I would even, you know, shy away a little bit from Azara, except uh, you know, from what I've seen, he's going, you know, late teens round. So you're not going you know, to really have to pay up for him. So, um, you know, I, I, I just like to stay away from those kind of risks. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of other players to grab. But anyway, I didn't want to spend that yeah. much time with the White Sox. I just thought it is kind of <laughs> cool what they're doing. It, it's, it's worth thinking through the fantasy implications. But today we're here with a much larger purpose. And um, we want to talk about draft strategy and in, in particular, if you're okay with this, I'd love for you to just say a little bit about your general strategy, but then also how that ports over to draft champions leagues, you know, which we are, yeah. we are both in the throes of right now, you know, there's 50 team, um, and FBC draft and hold leagues, 50 team. What am I, what am I saying? 50 round, um, mm. 15 team, uh, Roto. I just find that, well, first of all, 15-team Roto is just the format that, that most interests me in general. It's the mm. format of the main event. It's the format of all the draft champions leagues. And to me, it's just a, kind of an elegant thing. I think, you know, they, they picked 15 teams in these leagues for a reason. Um, if you've played in 12-team leagues, as I have, you know, that it's, it's just a very different experience. You know, you'll, I, I think I was in a 12-team online championship league last year, and at some point, Matt Olson was out there on the waiver wire. It's just like, what's, yeah. what is going on here? You know, it, what, what? there's so much replacement value that the draft is, like, is minimized. Yeah. You're like, I'm not sure I could pick you up because I feel like this is just wrong. Yeah. You know, there's like some sort of cheating involved here. Yeah. Yeah. It, the 15 team is the one that I love as well. And the 12 team is interesting because I just feel like it's a it's a totally different strategy that I have not that I've mastered any strategies at all, but like um, 
the 12 teamers is just a lot harder for me, I think, because yeah, you're like, do, who do I pick up on the waiver wire? There's a lot more options. Um, it's much more about like ceiling than it is about floor. Floor guys lose um, value for sure. And yeah. And then, yeah, like the pickups are so important because mm-hmm. you have to hit on some guys, you have to get, you know, upside obviously. And it's just, a, it's a different animal. And I, there are people like, clay link who are insanely good at playing the waiver wire and do really well in that format but um yeah and i think you probably have to construct your team in a way that you know you you're counting on the waiver wire whereas in the 15 Mm. team if you do that like i.e my main event last year uh you know it's 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 rough because you really just can't count on uh, there's only a few certain things that you can count on from the waiver wire mm-hmm. in 15 teams. So definitely. All right. Well, give us your rundown. I know you talked a lot about your pocket aces strategy. I love that. Yeah. That, that uh, term. And then also the, the way you sort of, what you target, you know, throughout the first, um, maybe even first 20 rounds, you know, how, how you sort of structure what you're going after. And then, mm-hmm. and then again, how that, I guess relates to draft champions. And then maybe we'll spend most of our time focused on draft champions leagues um, just for this one. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, Yeah. So my, my general strategy heading into any draft, and again, I'll qualify this by saying this is for 15 teamers. I mean, there's slight modifications for 12 teamers, but in 15 teamers, (laughs) uh, I wish I, I wish I was creative enough to have branded the pocket aces draft strategy. Not that I'm the only person that employs this, but uh, the name came from uh, Ryan Bloomfield. He 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 uh, sent me a GIF in response to a tweet that I had about getting two aces um, with the pocket aces, and I just really love that. Um, that idea, obviously, being like the worst poker player in the world, potentially, but also somebody who enjoys a good game of poker. <laughs> um, but essentially, the idea is just that um, to target uh, elite starting pitchers early. And when I'm talking about aces, I'm talking about like a top 15 or a top 18 um, starting pitcher. And so, um, you know, those are, those are guys where there is more volatility in pitching than there is in hitting just in terms of injury risk and stuff like that. But you need, you need good pitching and it's hardest, it's hardest to come across. And so, um, uh, so I like to, even though there's a little bit more volatility and a little bit more risk spending a first round, second round, third round pick on pitching, that's where you're going to, that's where you're able to, um, that's where the pitching is most reliable. And so really uh, targeting two guys, partially as an insurance policy, because pitching is so vol- volatile and injury risk is higher, um, but also because you only have nine pitchers um, in you know, in traditional fantasy, you're, you've got your 14 pitchers, your nine hitters. And so if you're able to get two um, aces or two guys who provide you with volume, both in terms of ratios, but also strikeouts, then you are able to, um, it sets a really good foundation for your pitching overall and to make it competitive. Um, and I feel like you can make up ground and hitting with depth a lot more than you can um, uh, with, uh, with pitching. Like there's just not a lot of pitchers um, that are available. So just to, so, just to say a little bit about that, since you have completely sold me on this, this is this is not something that I <laughs> was doing last year. In fact, it's one of the the two. I, I mean, in some ways, they're minor tweaks because I I did really well in draft champions leagues last year, mm-hmm. so I don't want to change too much. 
but in in another way I, I feel like these could have a huge impact um so so really my two changes from last year are grabbing the pocket aces like uh i, I didn't do in really any leagues last year and um also just later when it re- relates to starting pitching getting guys with jobs you know and floors over the mm. you know the whitley gore manning types um you know not that i don't ever want those guys but that like if i'm sitting there in the 18th round or the 20th round and you know i'm having to choose between forrest whitley and dylan bundy i'm probably going to go dylan bundy there because i feel like he's going to get me the innings and the strikeouts and maybe the wins, but, but just more volume, you know, because I, I found that to be the case last year when I, I, I did, A, I didn't get the pocket aces and B, I didn't get guys enough with, with enough jobs. I was filling in by the end of the, you know, in the draft champions leagues, I was filling in four or five relief pitchers every week. Um, just because I didn't have enough starters, you know, I got a couple guys mm-hmm. injured and, and then this guy never came up and this guy was back down in the minors and uh, so those two things together, because, because you know, as well as I did, I, I was looking at the, the leagues that I got first place in, and it really came down to my hitting. I mean, I, I didn't have more than about 1,300 strikeouts in any league. So I was, mm. I was really in the bottom half mostly for strikeouts for most of the leagues. Even, you know, I'm even saying the, one I got first, the ones I got first place in, I – I, I was in the bottom half in wins. So wins and strikeouts. And then I just kind of like had just enough to do well enough in, in ERA and whip. And I, you know, I got, I got a little bit lucky in one or two of them. And I, and then the others, I it was middle of the pack or even, even less in ERA and whip. So it was just really about um, the hitting that carried me. And I, I'm not saying that that's not possible, but I, I do think that with these minor tweaks and I say minor because if you grab pocket aces and then you, you focus on volume later, you've really only given up two rounds that, you, that I was last year drafting hitters. And granted, those, you know, those first two or three or four rounds, you're going to get some really good hitters. But mm. as long as you get the volume in, in hitting, you know, get guys who are going to be hitting in the top of lineups and things like that, I feel like you can afford those two aces whether it's in rounds one and two or rounds one and four or two and three, you know, you can, mm. you can afford to give up a little, like, you know, not get the, the Trey Turner and get, you know, I was going to say VR, but I'm really kind of off. VR. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get As you should be. Get Tim Anderson or, you know, like uh, Oscar Mercado several rounds later. And yeah, you're not going to get Trey Turner uh, production, but you're going to get enough that I think you can sort of balance a good team and, and you've, and you've given yourself a chance to really win pitching. Whereas I had a chance to sort of, uh, you know, float in pitching last year, but I never really dominated it. So, mm. so yeah. anyway, that, all of that, just to say, I do agree with you on the pocket aces thing. So please continue. I'm sorry for the long interruption. Um, <laughs> no, 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 don't worry about it. No, I think you, you highlighted a lot of really good points there and, one of the things that I think I, I see a lot of times happening is that guys will will pick up like one or two of the big stolen base guys early on, which I would definitely be supportive of. I think that's what differentiates the top of the draft from the bottom of the draft is 
um, is stolen bases. And so like, sometimes you'll see somebody pick up like, you know, like a Trey Turner and a Starling Marte or two stolen base guys. And I think the, and then, and then they kind of punt stolen bases for a long time. And I think the challenge with that is that, um, you know, you're putting your stolen base eggs, if you will, in a couple baskets. And so if any of them are injured, like, um, you know, like Trey Turner last year, I mean, he stole what, like 30 something bases, but if you were hoping for him to steal close to 50, um, then that's like 15 stolen bases that you're down. Mm -hmm. Or if one of those guys, you know, God forbid, like gets injured for half a year, you know, it's really hard to make up those stolen bases when you're putting so much in. So what I would always, what I mentioned on my podcast the other day, but what I'd encourage folks is never really to stop thinking about stolen bases, but to really try to diversify your stolen bases so that you're not reliant on one or two guys. Of course, you're going to have your anchors, right? Like you need guys who steal 20 bases, 30 bases on your team. Uh, definitely not discouraging people from doing that, but don't think that that makes it so you don't have to pick up stolen bases later on in the draft. Because, um, you know, what, what I think, what I'm always trying to do in a draft, and I think I, I actually, of all the formats, draft champions is my least favorite because I love the grind. I love like the, um, I love working the waiver wire. Um, I think that that's awesome. I love being able to identify matchups on the waiver wire and kind of plug guys in on a weekly basis. Um, but um, what you're really, what I'm always trying to do in a draft is to build a balanced team so that I'm competing in every category um, and, and competing at the top of that category. You know, it may be that, you know, my projection puts me in the middle of the pack in that category, but you know, there's some upside or in the draft champions league, I've been able to, you know, I really focus my later rounds, like my reserve rounds on, on getting folks in the, in my lineup who can, um, you know, uh, who can produce that category. So oftentimes I'm, I'm low in, in power generally. Like if, if you look at most of my, my drafts, I'm, I'm okay everywhere except for maybe power. Um, and that's because I think you can make that up towards the end of the draft. And so like, I was pretty low on power in my first champion, first draft champions league that I drafted, um, you know, but then in the reserve round, I was able to get Travis Shaw, who, you know, who knows what he's going to end up doing, but he's hit 30 home runs before Jesus Aguilar appears to have, you know, access to everyday plate appearances. I don't see a reason why he can't hit 30, especially with uh, today's ball. And then Daniel Vogelbach already. So right there I have guys who, all have the potential to hit 30 home runs who I can plug in if I'm down in the category towards the end of the season, or if I get an injury knowing that, you know, I, I need to build in that area. So the balanced approach is really what I'm after. And so if you see me drafting hitters towards at the beginning of the draft, you're definitely going to see me targeting guys who have speed and hopefully you, I'm targeting guys who get me four or five categories um, and especially batting average and stolen bases, because I think those are the hardest ones to make up. Uh, I posted a tweet uh, yesterday and I'll, I'll stop talking after this, but um, you're good, man. Um, I, I put together a combination of steamer projections. So not like, you know, this is this guy's stats from last year and this guy's stats from last year, because last year's stats don't matter anymore. Right. Like what we are, what we're interested in is the, is, is, this is the projection that a guy is going to do moving forward. And I took two guys and their combined ADP is 48. Yeah. Um, and that's Anthony Rendon and Pete Alonzo. And then I took the, the steamer projection for um, Michael Brantley 
and Chris Davis, whose combined ADP is 317. <laughs> and the difference between them literally is nine home runs and maybe like five runs. So, so, the, so to be clear about that, if you're yeah. wanting to draft Pete Alonso and Anthony Rendon, you'd have to do it probably in the first and second round, you know, because you're not, because they both go typically in the second round. And then mm-hmm. if you're drafting um, Chris Davis and Michael Brantley, you can probably get Brantley in the eighth or ninth. And then you're getting Chris Davis in the what, 13th, 14th, 15th. Yeah. And so what you're saying is basically if you're just trying to get those stats, just trying to cover the, the what you need in each category, you can, um, there's, there's a, there's a chance that you can get it that much later and get the same totals or very close to them. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so like a lot of times what I'll see is folks will kind of focus on hitting early, grab like their ace. And I'll again, like qualify this by saying like, there are plenty of ways to win in fantasy baseball, right? Like my way is not the only way. This is just something that for me, like, through playing and just through thinking about fantasy baseball a lot. Like this is what I've developed as my general approach, but it's by no means like the only one that you can take. Like I'm, uh, you know, I'm talking about it now, but it could be that I win zero of my draft champions leagues, which is very, very possible. Um, So yeah, it's just that like what I see a lot of times is somebody will grab like, you know, an ACE on like one ACE and then they'll wait and then they'll spend like three rounds later on grabbing like, kind of guys to steal from Paul Spore and Justin Mason who are in kind of the glob, right? right? Like these, these guys who are, who either were good last year for the first time or who are aging veterans, like whatever it is, but these guys who I think there's a lot more volatility to their projection. And I think research shows that they're kind of hit and miss. And so well, you know, and, while and- that person is, is spending three draft picks on, you know, starting pitchers that they're hoping hit, I feel like I've already spent, you know, my draft capital early on getting guys who have a either a proven track record or a very high projection uh, or very good projection. And in that space of the three rounds where they're just trying to kind of make up starting pitching, I'm able to draft two to three hitters that can actually get me the same um, stats, not individually as the guys who are going at the top of the draft, but just by kind of combining them and having depth and not having those holes and hitting towards the end of my draft, hopefully like I'm able to compensate for the lack of hitting that I have at the top. Awesome. Well, let's, let's go into draft champions league specifically. And I guess this would hold for any, uh, you know, 50 round draft and hold league. Um, you know, it's a five by five roto format. Um, and let's, let's sort of talk about other than just, you know, starting with the aces, how do you, how do you look at filling out your team? And I'll, I'll start and I'll say that, you know, one thing I always do um, for any draft, but it, I find it especially useful in these draft champions leagues is every time I make a pick and really even before the draft, I will sketch out the picks that I hope to get. Um, and I'll just, I'll just list the players in, you know, Excel or um, Google sheets, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll have my proje- projections and steamers projections. Um, and if you, if you aren't <laughs> as technically, savvy not that i'm not that i'm uh by any means proficient but uh if 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 you want you can really just put in what you think each player is going to get for 
the four, the five categories, you know, for hitters and the five categories for pitchers. And then you just kind of like add them up at the top or, or average the categories like batting average. And to me, that really helps me at least have an aspirational goal of, Hey, if I get all these players, I'm going to get the stats that I need. Um, mm. And, you know, you can, you can look back at what was good enough to get you in the top 10% last year, the top 20% in, in a given category. And um, I have yet to see the team where you can go by the steamer projections and, and build a team where you can win every category. Cause it's just, it doesn't work that way. I mean, mm-hmm. I think even if you, picked a bunch of players from the top 10 rounds, you know, and, and, and made a whole 14 batter team out of them. It'd be really tough to do that. It's just, that's just not the way projections work. They're, they're Mm -hmm. looking at a 50% outcome. And if you want to be in the the top um, in every single category, you're going to have to beat some of those 50 percentile outcomes. Yeah. But anyway, um, getting back to my, my general thing is, so now with the two aces situation, um, I am looking to get two pitchers early, but uh, in the next, I'll, I'll say I like to look at sort of the first 20 rounds as I want to have my offense um, pretty much filled up um, in those first 20 rounds. And so that the only way that I've found that you can do that is you, you can only take maybe one more starting pitcher. And so for a long time, I was looking at guys like, Brandon Woodruff and Frankie Montas and those guys that are kind of going in, well, they were going in around eight. I think Woodruff is pushed up already. And, um, you know, I think the guy that I'm zeroed in on now is uh, Julio um, Urias for the Dodgers. Mm. And he's going in about round 10 or 11. Mm. But whatever the case may be, that's it for starting pitchers for me until after round 20 or so, at or after round 20. Because I have to, because I feel like if I'm going to fill out an offense that's going to be competitive in every category, there are not really players that I can get later that I can count on it at those starting positions. You have to have 14 batters, including catchers. And so, yeah, sometimes I won't get a second second starting catcher in those first 20 rounds, or sometimes I'll be short a middle infielder or something. But if I can get almost all 14 of those batters in the first 20 rounds, I feel like that puts me in a much better position to to fill up those categories. And so, and then the other thing about draft and hold is closers are really a conundrum because there are only (laughs) so many that you can count on to even have the job. And so what I did last year that made me competitive in that category and usually win that category was I was actually able to get three, um, which I know is a little aggressive, but um, when you're talking about, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th round, I don't think you're giving up too much. And if you can get those guys that have the job, it's really worth a lot because, you know, it'll help you to have good relief pitchers in general, uh, but it also – will help you in that saves category. Um, and I, you know, again, the reason I do it this way is I believe that the starting pitchers after round at, you know, at or after round 20 are still very good. I'll, I'll take a ton in the twenties, but like I, in, in the draft that I'm in right now, I just took chase Anderson in round 32 and I'm getting a lot of, well, I'll get into my guys later, but you know, 
um, especially in rounds 20 through 25, you can get, there's just a ton of guys who are going to have, who are going to be in their rotations and, and, and give you pretty good numbers. You know, Chris Bassett, Ross Stripling, Kyle Gibson, Pablo Lopez, even like uh, Justice Sheffield. Um, there are so many pitchers in that round in, in those rounds that, that I feel I can, I can get the relief pitcher, the guys who have the closer roles and hitters for, for most of the first 20 rounds. So I guess I'll pause for a minute to, to see what you think about that. Yeah. I, I think that, that generally aligns with my strategy. So I generally take the two, the two pitchers and then, yeah, I'll punt on pitching for a while. Like I generally take probably seven rounds straight of hitting at that point in time. Um, and so, yeah, like you mentioned, kind of in that um, range around like round nine or, or 10 is when I will take um, a third starting pitcher. Some of the guys that I've gotten, like Lance Lynn, I think is really nice at, uh, at, at uh, like around 130. You mentioned Urias. I don't have him yet, but I really like him because I think the ratios are going to be pretty solid. Yeah, he, um, has, he has basically, um, you know, short seasons he hasn't gotten a full load of starts but the last two years his uh you know his batting average allowed and really uh swinging strike rate contact rate everything is is near elite and so Mm -hmm. all he needs is the volume and you know i'm not convinced they're going to give him 32 starts at all but but if he gets 20 plus i'm very much happy to have him for everything totally. he'll do. And, and he's a, he's a five or a four category guy, you know, he'll get you good ratios, good strikeouts and he plays on the Dodgers. So, but yeah, uh, but yeah, you're right. There you are, can't go wrong drafting Dodgers pitchers. <laughs> there are definitely other guys there. I like Matthew Boyd. I haven't been able to get him at all, but I got, I got him in one as my three. There, yeah. There's some guys there to target, but, but yeah, I'm with you. And, and now I'm going to guess that you probably don't ever get three closers you probably just get two like uh, most people or... I, I do in some instances like I, I target two kind of towards the back end of the closers so okay. like around 11 12 so like um, in my most recent draft I got Alex Colomay in the 11th and then uh, in the 12th I got Jose Leclerc and then I actually you know there's some question about whether he's the closer or not I think he's the general closer uh, Mark Melanson yeah, I ended up getting him in the 16th. So sure. he fell. If you, if you can get a guy that starts the season with the job, you're going to get something, <clears throat> even if even if uh, it becomes a committee or, or something. Mm-hmm. So, and and a guy that I love late, who I have in every single draft so far, is Ryan Stanick. Yeah, of the Marlins. I have him in at I, least one, and I, I would love to get more. But um, the only problem with the Marlins, and I find this to be the Marlins and the Orioles, really have almost committed to 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 running a committee you know, the Orioles are worse about it, mm-hmm. but the Marlins um, it's, it's really, they, they've got a lot of guys that they'll throw in and they, they tended to do this really until the end of the season. I remember Harlan Garcia got a couple and um, you know, Urena was getting some and they have other guys who, who, who could Nick Anderson before he got traded. So uh, it's just, uh, those are teams that I avoid, but you're talking about round, 30 I think you know yeah. you're talking about and round 27 in my most recent is when I got Stanek yeah and the thing that I like about him is he's a guy that 
if he is in the committee, I don't mind sticking him in my lin- lineup in some weeks because he's actually a good pitcher. Like he has right. a swinging strike rate above 15%. Yeah. So I expect good production from him, even if he's not getting me saves. And those are the types of guys that I like to go after late is guys who are either starting pitchers who have shown me something like maybe they have a dominant pitch or maybe they had like an elevated swinging strike rate towards the end of the last year, whatever it is, like just looking for that little nugget to hold on to and, and kind of see the upside in. And so going for guys like that, in addition to some of the guys that I think you mentioned, like who have a pretty solid floor, although I'll say that that's not necessarily my, um, I could be better at that. Like I'm always somebody who's like drawn to that little, like, Oh, over the last, 10 games, 10 games started. He had like a 12% swinging strike rate. That's super interesting. Well, well no, that's, that's, um, you know, I, I'm definitely learning from experience here because last mm. year I cannot tell you how many shares of Josh James I had and, um, uh, Brad Peacock and, uh, Colin McHugh. Okay. Those were all Astros, but I had, I had these guys all across <laughs> the MLB and, so many of them didn't get more than five starts um, or didn't come up at all. I had Lardo last year, you know, he was supposed to be up by May. And so, you know, I've really just learned, you know, the hard way that volume, especially in draft champions leagues and really to me in, in 15 team Roto is, is super important. Um, and, you know, I'll take volume over upside almost every time. Now, if we're talking around 25, um, I'll take I'll take one or two of these McKenzie Gore types if if they make it down there. But those guys tend to get you know pushed up, and um, I haven't been able to get as many shares as I want. Do you need to tend to your your children? Uh, we're we're getting some we're getting some complaints about the uh, the show that's on right now. So uh, okay. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna skip forward. This will make for good podcast stuff. <laughs> I'm totally going to leave this in. This is Oh this, yeah, you got it. This is the you stuff people live for. For the for those of you who are who are unaware, it is uh about seven o'clock in the morning. Or actually I guess it's seven forty five uh at this point, but um my children are um are watching some shows out in the living room while I do the podcast, multitasking dad here um so you just got a little glimpse of them being disappointed in the octonauts uh show that is uh that is currently playing and so we have we have chosen uh another show very exciting stuff here well uh, i'm impressed with the multitasking i have to say <laughs> well let me talk for a minute while while you you get them set, we, we are all we are all good okay. we're good the new the new episode is on i move quickly well i will um, I think in, in sort of agreement with what you were saying, but also um, just to sort of finish out my draft champions thoughts um, after getting a ton of pitchers between round 20 and round 30, where, I, where, again, I feel like you can get guys who have, who are in the rotation, you know, and, and that, that may mean it's a, it's a Merrill Kelly or it's a, you know, um, I'm like scrolling through my leagues right now. A Kyle, Gibson, right. Kyle Gibson. Love uh, Merrill Kelly. Matt Shoemaker, way. Spencer Turnbull. You know, these are not guys who you're going to count on for, you know, sub 3.5 ERAs or, or 200 strikeouts or a ton of wins. But, you you know, they're going to have jobs and they're going to get you something. And, you know, they've got upside and they're not going to be bad. Um, or, you know, hopefully all of them aren't going to be 
five plus ERA bad. And so you just, <laughs> you just have to sort of take your shots there. And then I find that there's sort of another shift for me after round 30. Um, and that is, it's, it's a lot harder to get those guys. And so now I will take my third or fourth catcher and, you know, make sure I have three or four of, of each other position, at least coverage. And I like to have about 10 outfielders and, um, and then eventually after round 40 or even, I guess, 35 or so, you know, I'll start taking some other relief pitchers, you know, we're talking the Sergio Romo's or Pedro Baez or Aaron Bummer, um, Mm. guys with, with just, that are just going to be really good pitchers. And if they get a few saves, great. And if not, you may still need to throw them in there at some point. And then after round 40, it's just, it's just free for all, you know, I'll draft, uh, I'll draft a minor leaguer. I'll draft a fourth catcher. I'll draft a guy who's projected to be on the bench, like Austin Dean. I like a lot. Uh, yeah. Austin Dean's a great one. Uh, Chad Pender, uh, even some of those Dodgers guys, Edwin Rios, you know, just good players that probably aren't going to get a shot. Roman Quinn, you know, I'd love it if Roman Quinn became a thing again uh, mm. or ever because he's always hurt. Um, I'll even take a Bradley Zimmer, you know, for that, you know, crazy upside because we're talking about the last few rounds of the draft. There is so little there that you can count on. Mm-hmm. Jake Cave, if you want a little power possibility. Yeah, Jake Cave, if he gets at bats. I mean, he's been he's been pretty good. But that's the that's the case for all. And you know, like pitchers like Ian Anderson or Shane McClanahan that you know may not get called up. But but again, after around forty or forty five for me, anything goes. And you know, you just that's when I go just basically all upside. So that's kind of how I do this, and it's 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 not much different than last year. Um, I, I kind of glossed over it, but really, I, you know, getting three to four players eligible at each position is pretty key. Getting about ten outfielders, I try to get fourteen or fifteen starting pitchers at least, and that's not counting the Shane McClanahan's of the world, um, and then six or seven relief pitchers at least. So that's. Unless I'm forgetting something, that's pretty much what I wanted to say about my uh, my draft champion strategy. And, you know, the differences would be in a 30-round draft, like a main event draft, you're going to go and, – and where you're going to have a waiver wire, you're going to go a lot more upside in the 20s. You know, I'm probably not going to be taking, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Brad Keller in round – 26 or 29 or whatever i'm going to be you know shooting for an austin voth or you know somebody that may not have a job and i might have to drop him but um or, or even some hitter you know that that i'm taking later you know like i'm um, hoping to get a good good start out of him and maybe he gets the job but you know so so it's really not that different but um but I find that, you know, in the, in the draft and hold, you just got to make sure you, you cover all these things because injuries can, can get to you um, later. So I guess in general, what do you think of that? But also, is there anything that you tend to do differently or um, any part of that that you find particularly worth talking about? No, I, I, think, um, I think you're right on. Like the key is getting, like you said, getting that backup because injuries happen um, and you never know when. So dual position eligibility guys are really helpful in the league for that reason, but also just making sure that you have 
yeah, like you're, you're pretty deep, like you know, three backups for each position or something like that. Guys that you can move around where you have a variety of different options, uh, depth in starting pitching for sure. And just pitching in general, like one thing I've found is I just draft the, the Rays bullpen pretty much because every single player in the Rays bullpen is nasty, <laughs> but, um, like, uh, p- uh, relief pitchers, like guys who go after, um, uh, the opener, things like that, like, uh, like a Brent Suter, for instance, on, on Milwaukee guys who can get you just like volume who maybe not be starting pitchers, but, hmm. um, uh, things about, of that nature, uh... just, just, just because like your totals that you need in draft champions are lower than they are in other leagues because of the, uh, of the turnover, um, that you have. Um, That's and true. so not, not by like a ton, but let's see. Well, and yeah. if you can steal a couple of wins with a guy like you're talking about, that could be a really mm-hmm. big thing. What do you think of – is Trevor Richards going to follow an opener this year? Or is uh, it- I'm not sure. If you look at the Rays roster resource page, they actually have um, five starting pitchers, I think, at this point. No. Uh, so the question is just um, is just like who, like Yanni who might get injured. And Yarbrough could probably follow openers possibly, but you got to think. Morton, Snell, and Glass now, if they're all healthy, yeah. they're just getting the start. And then it just doesn't – you just don't really have room for too many of these other guys following openers. Definitely. Um, and so – I, I wanted to agree with you, though, about the bullpen. Like, if you can get Colin Pache in round yeah. 40 something. I have him in, like, every draft. He's awesome. He's, he's I mean, yeah. he's up there with, you know, like a guy like Matt Barnes. And, um, you know, these guys – you know, maybe relegated to mid reliever, that's fine. You're going to get so many strikeouts, you know. And if you even get three saves throughout the year, five saves, you know, that's going to be worth something. Um, and, you know, hopefully you have a guy who's the actual closer and, and Colin Pache gets to sit on your bench. But in my experience, that it doesn't always work out that way. And so Definitely. you want a guy with some upside there because you're, you know, you're getting these guys in round 40 something. So if you can get any kind of upside, it's, it's awesome. And yeah, I agree with yeah. you about the raise. Yeah. Um, and then uh, other thing that I like to do, I actually do prioritize catcher. So in every single one of my draft champions so far, I have either Yasmani Grandal or JT Real Muto. And then in two of the three, or actually I've done four technically because I did that first pitch Arizona one. I think we're in the same league there, but um, in most of them, I have, um, I have Salvador Perez as my backup catcher. That's so he's great. Going yeah. like, he's, or my catcher too. There's some kind of glitch late. in the system where he's, he's ranked. He's not showing up. He's ranked like <laughs> 2000. So everybody's yeah. getting him right now in the 12th or 13th round. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's really kind of, I haven't actually managed to spike him yet because somebody always does it right before me, but, uh, mm. it's, it's like a cheat code. I mean, he should be going yeah. in like at the very latest, he should be going in like the ninth or 10th round and, and really, yeah. you know, I've seen him go around 13, 14, even 15. Um, yeah, he went, so a guy that I've been getting a lot, I got real Muto in one and I totally agree with you on him. Um, but I've been getting a lot of Sean Murphy. I don't know if you have looked into him or what you think about him. Um, and I can get him usually in about round 16. And, um, you know, he's a lot of people think he's going to be the number one guy for the, the A's all year. And um, James Anderson has 
is the one who's turned me on to him. He has, he has spoken really highly about him. In fact, he had a tweet yesterday where he listed his favorite redraft values and Sean Murphy was on the list. So he had like mm. Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Brandon Woodruff, Sean Murphy, and then AJ Puck, Alcantara, Kanha, and Spencer Howard. That's an interesting one. That was pick 467 on average, but Murphy's going pick 229 and I'm, I'm seeing him later than that. So I just, I, I have been getting a lot of him, but I will say that um, I'm coming around to your way of thinking on catcher because when you, when you do what I, what I said earlier about creating a spreadsheet, you know, and, and putting mm-hmm. in the, the stats that you're going to get from these guys, a guy like Rio Muto, when you're putting in, you know, 80 or, or, or more, uh, runs and 80 or more RBIs for a catcher rather than, you know, 45 or 50 of each. Yeah. It's a, it's a game changer, really. I mean, you know, you can take your team, you know, if you get Real Muto in round four, you may, you know, you, the, the player that you're replacing there that you could have gotten instead, mm-hmm. they're not going to be as different from a, from around 15 guys he is like there, there is no catcher in in after real muto that is going to you know have even the upside at his floor so it's, yeah it's a very interesting uh place to just grab some stats um so i've definitely come around on that yeah what no you... that's that's part of this the the starter strategy is that like you have to make up for the um what you're missing like early on. And so if you do grab two, um, two high end catchers, like, you know, you don't have to compensate for the lack of production from your catcher spot. Like if you're able to get real Muto, you at least get some stolen bases. And I will say that that is a very good point because I think that's something that went right for me last year. Like I I just kind of got, I mean, I, I, I bullied hitting to the extent that, you know, I got like a lot of, Christian Yelich in the first round because I, I got him as late as like tenth overall because you know people people thought he was going to regress and so uh, you know to some extent I got lucky on the the people that I, the players that I cho- chose but I managed to sort of compensate and and I also did like Christian Vasquez in a bunch of leagues so that helped too but but my sort of ignoring catcher maybe a little too complacently. Um, I kind of was able to compensate for, but I don't think I'm going to be able to do that with the pocket aces strategy. So, so Mm. it's a very good point that when you're going to do that, you need to make sure you have your spreadsheet and you see where these stats are coming from. So any thoughts on Sean Murphy uh, specifically? Um, I don't have many um, thoughts on Sean Murphy. Murphy. I mean, James Anderson um, is, somebody to trust for sure. So if he likes him, I don't see a reason why um, not to trust him, especially where he's, uh, where he's going. Um, And James knows a lot more about prospects and young players coming up than I do. So, um, you know, steamer doesn't even have a projection for him. I'm not sure why that is. Um, But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm generally like uh, a good example is in my last league. This just killed me, but I just kept on missing on my catcher targets. So I ended up with like Tucker Barnhart. Well, I actually, I got, um, oh, did I even, no, I didn't even end up with him. I think I ended up with Williams Astudio as my catcher too, mm-hmm. which forced me to get like Jacob Stallings, um, 
Did you get Grandal earlier your, than I would have wanted? But your... Grandal was my first one, yeah, and that actually like just makes such an impact on 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 what you what you've been mentioning. Like, I think if I were to give one tip to anybody, I would emphasize what you said about creating a spreadsheet and tracking the calculations. I think the most dangerous thing you can do, like dangerous, obviously in quotation marks, but when you're projecting your team is to over project, like using your own projections, not to say like, don't make your own projections, but like there are projections that are out there that are publicly available that are, you know, that are going to be more effective than the 99% of people's own personal projections. No offense to anybody out there who does personal projections. Like it's a fun exercise. Um, but you know, having like steamer projections handy and, and putting your lineup in and seeing how you line up with different goals. Like what I have is a spreadsheet where, and it's like a pretty simple V lookup from the uh, projections uh, spreadsheet. Um, and so I just type in the player's name and it gives me what the projection is. And so I do that for the full team as I kind of build the lineup. And then like you said, ahead of time thinking about my future picks and what I might do and what that would do to my the overall shape of my team and the production. And then at the bottom, I have uh, 80% of um, like the top 20 percentile as a goal. And then I have the top 10 percentile as a goal, just to give me a sense of about where I am. And the, the 80, per, the top 20 percentile is really what you're gunning for, because it, like you said, it's impossible to create a first percentile projection across the board, even if you were to choose whatever players you wanted to that weren't necessarily realistic. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do that. And then as I enter them, it tells me what percent of the way towards the goal I am. And so then I can see like how the balance is shaping up. I can see like where I might be more deficient than in other places. And that can help uh, guide my draft strategy moving forward. And just make sure that you have balance. And so if, if I were to give, I would like emphasize what you said about create a spreadsheet, track your team as you build it and see how it's shaping up. Which is uh, easy and, to do in these, uh, you know, drafts where you have an hour or two hours totally. or four hours to make your selection. So you can really make some hay in the off season if you do these draft champions leagues, because you can learn, you know, you can kind of figure out who's going to be there when that sort of thing. But, but yeah, um, how do you do – you said you do 80%, 80th percentile projections or something like that? Um, yeah, so I, I essentially take, like, um, uh, <clears throat> the 80th percentile as a goal for my team. So, like, well, in a draft Champions League, that's 268 batting average. Oh, I see, one, I see, I see, I see, yes. 1,111 runs. 348, uh, 348 goals. Was I saying 20th percentile projection? No, I, I get what you're saying now. I, I, yeah. What I thought was you were, you were saying you somehow try to, um, for each player, you know, because Steamer gives you what should be. Mm -hmm. 50th. I don't, I don't yeah. always agree with it, but, you know, 50th percentile, yeah. right? So they could outperform that or underperform that. I thought you were doing some kind of calculation. But no, I, mm -hmm. I get what you're saying now. When you add everything up at the top, you want to make sure – you have enough. And so you look at last year, what it took to be in the 80th percentile in each category. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Got it. So like, yeah. So the best team that I've assembled so far based on projections, and I really only look at hitting, like I look at pitching a little bit, but you can never assemble a decent pitching squad because like, the everybody, are, yeah. everybody has like a super high ERA yeah, and, past a certain point. And whip too. Um, like no one yeah. after an ace has less than a 1.3 whip. So you're just not going to get there. Totally. Um, and so um, 
yeah, like my best team right now, uh, based on the projections, towards the 80 percentile goal, so like essentially being in the top 20% in all these categories, I'm right on for batting average at 268. I'm in the 99th percentile in runs, uh, 94th percentile in home runs, 101st percentile in RBI, and 109th percentile in stolen bases. So like I, I'm – so, Almost there, but it's like pretty much impossible to get 100% across the board. What does 109th percentile mean? Like you have more stolen bases than yeah, anyone I have, had last year? Or? I'm, my starting lineup is projected to have 134 stolen bases, wow. and, the, and the top 20 percentile was 123. Oh, okay. So you're above what yeah. you need to be in the top 20 percentile. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, I'd love to know how many – well, tell me how many runs in RBIs that is. So uh, runs, it's one thousand one hundred and eleven. Oh, that's great. And RBIs, it's one thousand and seventy-three. That's very impressive. And this is from NFBC Draft Champions. I find it's it's tough to get much over one thousand runs in RBIs um, based on projections. Now, if you're not, um, you know, if if you're drafting based on projections, you might eschew a Sean Murphy or a Nick Madrigal. Um, or even like a Kurt Suzuki as your second catcher because of the projections are low. I don't <laughs> do that. And so what I sort of do is I'll, I'll look at the projections, but then I'll, I'll tweak some things myself. And maybe that's not great. I mean, obviously I wasn't, I wasn't always accurate last year, but I think it can give you a better idea. For instance, like they've got Nick Madrigal, um, what I'm looking at, they've got him for 53 runs and 46 RBIs. And, you know, 428 bats. So that's basically saying he's not going to play, you know, full time. And probably what it's really saying is he's not going to be up until maybe May or something. Mm. And so what I'll do is I'll just kind of add 10 runs and 10 RBIs and a few home runs because I know that I'm going to be plugging in a a backup second baseman until he gets there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I'm not saying that that's a perfect strategy, but I I do think when you're looking at this, you don't want to ding guys too much because of their projection um because absolutely because then you'll miss out on guys that you feel like really have some upside so yeah i have a team here you know where my uh my steamer projections for the runs in rbi are right about a thousand each just a little over Mm -hmm. a thousand but you know i have several players that i think are gonna outperform that like dansby swanson you know i'm getting a lot of him I don't know if you've seen me sort of hyping him, yeah. him on Twitter. No, I think he's a he's a good one. But they've got him for 65 runs and 68 RBI. And I just think, especially in the runs category, you know, he could be well over 80. Um, he was, I think he had some, something close to 60 last year, and he missed a good bit of time. Uh, so, you know, obviously don't bank on your adjustments there. But at least say maybe look at it both ways because I, I think um, you don't want to say, well, Sean Murphy doesn't have any stats, so I can't draft. Yeah, yes, exactly. And also, definitely don't do that. Just other, use it as a guide. One other thing I <laughs> wanted to mention though is there's a Steamer 600 projection um, mm-hmm. that you can look at, and that's for you know that's basically if every player if they got 600 at bats, what would their projections be? And for catchers, it's if they got 450 at bats. So Sean Murphy with 450 at bats. Steamer has him hitting 21, 22 home runs, 
Mm-hmm. And it has him with, uh, I think it's 56 RBI or 56 runs and 57 RBI. So that's a, nice. that's a top 10 catcher for sure. If he gets the playing time. Um, yeah. And, so- and I think that's a good exercise to do just in terms of figuring out, okay, what is the, what is steamer projecting for home runs per plate appearance or runs per plate appearance or RBIs per plate appearances or stolen bases per plate appearances. Cause that'll give you a, you can then kind of, yeah, gauge like, okay, I think he's going to get, like 450, then you just use the steamer 600. But if you think he's going to get like 350, just to build in a little bit of, you know, uh, of like, you know, uh, risk, uh, or not risk or uncertainty, I guess, uh, into the projection, then you can see kind of where you're at at that point and compare him to like, uh, you know, where the other catcher is going in his area to see how he projects comparatively, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a very useful thing for people if they don't do that. Um, because I, you know, I, I think it's just so crucial to, to get a category balance. And if you don't go into it with a plan, you're just not going to, I mean, you can take the best, you can take the actual best av- available player at every, at every t- uh, end up with a team. You, you could, you could literally get the best player and come up, you know, maybe you get, your projection is for 500 home runs and zero stolen bases <laughs> or, you know, 1300 runs and not RBI, you know? And so you just, you have to f- figure out a way to balance that. And the only way I've figured out to do that is to sketch out my, my team goals beforehand. And then if I miss a player, I've got to adjust. So, um, yeah, I think that's all really valuable. I know we've been going for a while and we were going to talk about like who some of our guys are, but, why don't mm-hmm. we do this? Why don't you give one one hitter and one pitcher that you think is just an incredible value that you're seeing so far, and then I'll do the same, and then we can wrap it up. Oh man, um, yeah, um, man, one hitter and one pitcher that I think are really good values. That is a tough one. Let's see. Um, if you want to okay, do I'll one about- early and one late, that's fine. I just I was trying to be conscious of the time, and I, I know you've got. Uh, stuff going yeah. on today well um so one guy that i normally am way out on who i'm like never interested in but i'm interested in this year is miguel sano mm. um his projection for um steamer is really good um he's one of the values according to um steamer projections um so he is a guy that I really like. Um, let me get up his page here. Um, I think he's projected for 39 home runs. Um, last year, like he looked like he was in the best, the best shape of his life to use a, uh, a fun term, <laughs> <clears throat> but he looked like he was in the best shape of his life. Uh, he got through 400 plus plate appearances without an injury. Um, he, so his steamer projection in 610 plate appearances is 246 with 39 home runs, 89 runs, and 102 um, RBI. Um, he does strike out a bunch, as we know, but he just makes such good contact when he does. And he should get first base eligibility at some point early on this year, I think. Uh, the Twins um, are pursuing Josh Donaldson. I don't know if that'll come to fruition, but um, you know, I think they see Sano just from a health perspective and from a fielding perspective as being – uh, the first baseman of the future potentially there, or at least um, getting some reps um, in that area. He's never had a positive uh, def- um, 
uh, DRS, uh, defensive runs saved. So he's a, he's a weakness in the infield. And so I think he's going to get first and third eligibility. He's got a ton of power. So if you follow the strategy like I do, where you, you know, you, um, you focus on starting pitching and you're missing some of those like higher power guys that go early on, like he's a guy that you can plug in there. So he's a guy that I really like. Um, I mentioned Lance Lynn. He's a guy that I like going where he's going around 130. Um, what I like about him is his fastball was so dominant last year. Um, you know, and guys who have dominant fastballs, he was up, I think, like either one and a half or two miles per hour on his fastball. He's now three years removed from Tommy John. So maybe that command is coming back a little bit more. Um, but he should get a high volume of uh, strikeouts. He should get a high volume of innings pitched. And he had a high BABIP and a relatively low, at least for the strikeout rate, uh, strand rate. And so I'm not uh, super, I'm not banking on like a lot of regression there. Like it seems like what he, what he did last year is something that um, maybe he can't replicate, but he can get somewhere close to that. So I like um, those, uh, those are uh, a kind of a hitter and a pitcher. And then later on in drafts, let's see, who do I have in every single team? Um, one guy, well, one starting pitcher that I really like is Austin Voff. Um, right now, Joe Ross is scheduled to be the fifth starting pitcher for the nationals. Um, Joe Ross has been awful. Um, if you look at from a skills perspective, he doesn't strike guys out. Uh, he has poor control. So I really don't see him winning that job. And Voff has been successful in his brief stint in the majors. Um, he's got, uh, two to three really good pitches in his arsenal um, that have uh, that generate a, a nice swinging strike rate. Um, his control is decent enough. And I, if he gets into that nationals lineup, which is going to be good, it's going to be a good team again, obviously, you know, I think there's some real potential there. So he's a guy that I've really been targeting, um, you know, around round 25 through 27 in every single um, draft. So he's a guy that I like. And then in terms of hitters, you know, one guy that I'll say, um, uh, you mentioned him earlier, but Roman Quinn is a guy that I'm getting a lot of places. Um, he right now, I think Adam Hazley or Halsley is scheduled to be the starting center fielder for, um, the Phillies, if I'm not incorrect. And, um, you know, I, I, I have not been impressed by him just looking at his numbers, Quinn brings some speed, even if he's in a platoon. Um, if you match him up with some stolen base against some high stolen base teams like the Mets are going to give up a ton of stolen bases again. Um, the Braves generally give up a ton of stolen bases. The Nats generally give up a ton of stolen bases. Um, he could be a really nice stolen base guy uh, going late. So he's somebody that I have in all of my teams so far. That's great. Yeah. How about you? I read where Clintech, just going on the Roman Quinn thing, Clintech said – you know, he's the guy who replaced Kapler or no, that's the general manager. Sorry. Yeah. He said that, um, you know, he expects Hazley to, to be the center fielder, but he, he, here's a quote that I read on, um, this is Roto world. Having said that, I recognize that when Roman Quinn is healthy and playing to his potential, it's hard to take him out of the lineup. <laughs> so that's a pretty good, uh, you know, endorsement for Roman Quinn. And that's the dream, right? Is that he'll just be healthy because he he's, been so um he's been so strapped with injuries it's really mm-hmm. disappointing for him or his career but but if you know uh, injuries you know, injury concerns are 
you know, they last as long as they last. And then guys tend to get healthy. And that's funny when I hear people saying, <laughs> you know, I heard people as recently as last season saying that Michael Brantley was an injury risk, you know, and he's had what two, you know, 155 plus game seasons in a row, you know? So it's just, uh, these things tend to, to last as long Linger. as they last. Yeah. And then, and then before you know it, they're not a concern anymore. So I, I hope that's the case with Roman Quinn, but the, the more important point is you can get him after round 40. So just, uh, yeah, just totally just do that. Uh, I think, you know, most, most people that follow me on Twitter probably know my guys by now, but, um, I'll mention a couple maybe earlier than I, I have usually, uh, been talking about on Twitter. Obviously if you can get like the Dansby Swansons and I just mentioned Gio or Shella yesterday, I mean, those guys are going around pick two fifty, And so you can make so much, you can make up so much ground there if they do what, what I think they can do. I've also been pretty high on Nick Solak, even a little bit later than that. So, mm. and then there's guys much, much later, but let me, let me focus on some guys a little bit earlier. So Danny Santana is probably going to be a very contentious pick um, because he came out of nowhere last year and he's 28 years old. And I think a lot of people um, are a little, little scared off and yet he's still going at pick 122 or so. Um, so that's, you know, right at the turn of the eighth and ninth round, if I'm doing my math correctly there. So that's, mm. you know, it's pretty early, but to me, Danny Santana, he's, he's eligible at first base and outfield, which is just entirely huge because I'm not, you know, really biting on any of these early first basemen um, because I feel like first base is a pretty deep position. And so if I can get Danny Santana here, I can back him up with guys later. Um, even mm-hmm. uh, here's another, here's another guy, uh, Evan White, <laughs> Evan White is probably going to be the everyday first baseman for the Mariners. And so mm-hmm. if you can get him in round 22 or 25, then he is a perfectly good, you know, backup first baseman that could be a, you know, he could just be a huge boon. And if your corner goes down and you can slot him in and he does what, the Mariners hope he will since they just gave him a $24 million contract, then uh, you're going to be happy with that. But back to Danny Santana, if I, if I draft him as my first baseman, first of all, I don't know of any other first baseman after Bellinger who's going mm. to possibly give me 20 steals. And um, I'm not even counting on, you know, I think uh, Steamer has him for, or at least Fangraphs has him for uh, 19 steals um i'm even 15 or or even double digits i mean that's just huge from your first baseman mm-hmm. um i think the power that i that i would actually if, if i'm going to go under on the the projection for stolen bases i'm going to go over for power because for power they have him for home runs i think it was 20 or 21 and um if you if you look at him from last year this is a guy who could easily hit 30 home runs um I'm not going to pencil him in for that, but that's the kind of upside that I'm looking for. And um, they, you know, he's projected to hit somewhere in the heart of the order, maybe even clean up. And um, he's actually going to be playing at center field unless, you know, the Rangers have been making a few changes. So maybe they make a, a acquisition or a trade and move him back to first or some other position he Played, played all over last year. The only thing to think about for me with Danny Santana is he hit, um, I don't have it in front of me, but 280 or something last year. 
And while his expected um, batting average via StatCast, so he hit 283. His expected average for last year was 275, which mm-hmm. means that he didn't he didn't get lucky. But we we know that skills fluctuate too, not just luck. So mm-hmm. I could totally see him earning instead of 275, maybe he only earns 255 or maybe even 250. Um, and and you know maybe with a little bad luck he hits below 250. Um, but I, the, you know, to me that's the floor, and. I could totally see him hitting 270 or 280 again. And so the, the steamer projection has him at 249. And I just, I just cannot get on board with the fact that that is the 50th percentile outcome. I think, you know, I think I know why they have it there. I mean, he strikes out a lot. He, you know, it's hard to project anybody else to be hobby bias, (laughs) but I could totally see a not uh, crazy outcome yeah, I'm not not 99th percentile outcome. You know, maybe like a 75 percentile outcome, where Danny Santana is a top 50 player overall. So that's you know the the key to all of that to me is being able to get that upside in the eighth round and then back it up later with a, a very cromulent first baseman. Mm. I think that's a I think that's a good call because I think. I love getting those guys. I don't have, I don't, I don't think I have any Danny Santana so far, but I like that call because there are some first basemen going later on who can get you kind of the traditional uh, stolen base or the traditional kind of first base categories. Mm-hmm. And so if you have Santana, like one of the reasons I love Jose Ramirez in round two is because he's the only third baseman. I mean, except for maybe Tommy Edmond, and I'm sure there's one or two other guys that'll get you a decent amount of stolen bases. And so from a roster construction standpoint, you know, it puts you in a really good place because I mentioned this on my last podcast, but like catcher has zero guys projected for double digit stolen bases. Real Muto is the most, I think with six, or there might be some guy random catcher who's at eight. Um, And then you have first base where it's Bellinger and Santana, who are the only guys uh, projected for double digit stolen bases there. Second base, there's a decent amount, but not as many as you'd expect a shortstop. There's a lot third base. There's only, uh, really like Jose Ramirez and I think maybe one and Tommy Edmond and then it's all outfielders. And so it's like, if you can get stolen bases from some of those infield positions where it's not as likely, it makes roster construction a lot easier later on. It allows you to go for some power bats, maybe from positions where, um, you know, stolen bases are a little bit heavier. It just gives you a lot more flexibility. So I love that shout because you can also plug him in as an outfielder and he may get eligibility at other positions because I know the Rangers are going to kind of move him around. And the fact that they got rid of Mazzara gives him a little bit more consistent playing time, um, which was a question, but I, I, I agree. I mean, like I think there's certainly some volatility in that profile where he's striking out around 30% of the time. And last year was really the only time he hit for power. And so I'm sure that steamer is baking in some of that previous seasons into the projection, but we know that he was probably a guy, or we think that he was probably a guy that was helped out by the ball and I don't expect the ball to change moving forward. So um, I think that's a really good one. And, and, you know, yeah, you don't want to miss on a guy who you draft like around pick 120. But, you know, that's going to happen. There's, you know, we're not very, we're not as good at drafting as we think we are. <laughs> um, and so even if you do miss on him a little bit, like, like you said, there are first basemen that you can back him up with that can get you stats similar to what you might get from 
another first baseman like a CJ Crone or even a Jesus Aguilar if he's got full time plate appearances. Yeah, I think that's a key with a lot of these um, any stab that we take. Like I'm, I'm trying to get Oscar Mercado. Unfortunately, I think he's being pushed up to the seventh round already, and he'll probably go further. But you know, if you can get guys like that that have the potential to steal thirty bases, but they could also underwhelm. You you know maybe uh, one of your outfielders from the you know, 26th round hits and you end up playing him instead. I mean, that's not, it's, 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 it's a draft champion specific issue because you have to make sure you have the backups there. And of course the guy could get hurt. And then my sort of uh, additional thought on that is maybe, maybe you just kind of crap out on stolen bases and Oscar Mercado gets hurt and uh, Danny Santana stops stealing and, you know, your team just, you're just not going to win that category. You're not even going to compete in that category. Well, if you have Travis Shaw is a bad example because he doesn't play first base yet. But um, if you have, uh, you know, or an outfielder, um, let's see, drafted Cole Calhoun in round 22, maybe now he's in your lineup and you're competing more in home runs and you're going to have a few more runs in RBIs than if you had Oscar Mercado in the lineup. So just – Things to think about. I mean, I've, that's that's getting a little, <laughs> a little too in depth, maybe with with the thoughts. But, but what, what backups you have and what backups are available are, are pretty important to think about. Absolutely. For a pitcher, I mentioned him earlier, but uh, Chase Anderson for the Blue Jays is penciled in on roster resources. Their uh, their second pitcher in the rotation, and so of course they signed Ryu, which is awesome for them. Uh, and Tanner Rourke, which I don't quite understand as much, but they, you know, roster resource has Ryu, Chase Anderson, Rourke, Shoemaker, and Baruki or Baruki, or uh, I guess it's I guess it is Baruki or Baruki. I don't know about Baruki. Uh, I've got a lot of Trent Thornton, so I'm rooting for him there. But um, the the point I'm I'm going with here is that no matter what, uh, if roster resource is even close. Chase Anderson's going to be there. Um, so I really like getting him in the late 20s rounds or even early 30s rounds for a, you know, a decent pitcher with a job, really, is all I'm looking at. And Chase Anderson has had um, seasons where he has been an above-average pitcher, uh, and I'm just kind of hoping for him at that point in the draft to be an average pitcher uh, that will get me some volume. So, mm. uh, you know, he could get me – uh, you know, almost a strikeout per nine. He could, I could see him flirting with a four ERA, but even if it's 4.5, you know, like that's fine. I don't see it being 3.5 or better. And then the whip, I just want something in the 1.3 range. Um, so that's a perfectly decent pitcher, especially when you have the pocket aces. If they both stay healthy, uh, that's going to average out quite nicely. Um, when you have a guy with a, a 1.0, or a 1.05 whip and you average it with a guy like Chase Anderson, you're going to come out where, where you need to be. So, yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know if you have thoughts on Chase Anderson in particular, but no, I think what, I think what you mentioned in the DC, like he's a guy who should have a solid spot in the rotation. He's pitched pretty well, um, you know, in the past. So we know that that's a possibility. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's going to strike out a decent number of guys, I think. 
yeah, K rates like around 20% or maybe a little bit higher than that. Um, Steamer has him lower than that, but I don't know. The only challenge with him is that he's in the AL East, but in your DC, if he's a guy that you're not relying on, but he's just like added volume, you just start him in those starts where he's going up against the Orioles. Um, he can't pitch against uh, we'll, the Blue Jays, but <laughs> we'll see. And then you're going up against like some of the AL Central teams or some of the weaker teams. And that's one of the things about the DCs. You just got to be active in mixing and matching, taking advantage of, you know, two-star weeks, things like that, because those can have even more of an if impact. I wanted, um, if I, I wanted league. to talk about someone a little bit more exciting, I'd probably go Justice Sheffield. But um, the reason mm. the reason I call yep. out Chase Anderson is because he's <clears throat> he's Justice Sheffield could really have better than a strikeout per nine. Um, maybe even a lot better, but Chase Anderson is not really exceptional uh, at any particular skill, but he's exactly the kind of guy you need to be going for in the 30th round of a draft champions league. And so that's, and especially on this episode, when we're talking about draft champions leagues, you know, primarily, I, I just want to sort of point that out. Cause I think people will just skip right over Chase Anderson and they'll go and they'll draft Ian Anderson, you know, and, mm. and it'll be like, well, this guy could be a sub 3.5 ERA, you know, 200 strikeout guy. And it's like, sure. But is he going to be up before July? And, you know, is he going to yeah. struggle? You know, we saw, you know, Mitch Keller is a very good pitcher that struggled a lot last year. You know, we saw Brendan McKay struggle a lot last year. Those guys were just as dominant in the minors uh, as some of these guys that people are drafting over a Chase Anderson. So that's all I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, no, he's um uh I, I totally agree with that. I mean I would stay away from rookie pitchers would be my general after after um, round forty like there's been you some... have my blessing. But before that, you know, make yeah. sure you get, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, you know, that that you think are actually gonna be in a rotation and have have, have a job. So well, man, yeah, I know definitely. we have gone hope, hopefully not too much longer than you uh, were planning on, but I, I really appreciate your time, and this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. It was, it was a lot of fun, Drew. I was always down to talk fantasy baseball. Well, on that note, definitely uh, to all you listeners, find us both on Twitter. Uh, Toby is at BatFlipCrazy everywhere, and I'm at CommonSenseFBB. Um, so, Toby, thanks for being here. Everyone, uh, of course. thanks for listening. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball.